0: On Thursday, we—I was going to say—we celebrated the feast of the Ascension. I don't think most of us actually celebrated it. Uh, it is a feast of the Church, a pretty big one. Um, and yet, as Bishop Fisher pointed out, not a whole lot of us celebrated it. He asked if anyone had brought down their Ascension trees um, to celebrate, and uh, no one—no one had. Um, but we do get to celebrate the Ascension today with our story from Acts of Jesus ascending into heaven completing his work and his ministry here on earth, and the angels talking to the disciples, then they're just staring up and he's there, the angel says, Guys, what are you doing? Quit lollygagging and go out and start following the way of Jesus like he told you to do. But thinking of the attention maybe think about why? Why did God become human? Why did God come among us as Jesus? Why was he born and live and minister to us and help us? teach us and heal us? Why did he let us kill him? Why did, was he resurrected? Why did he ascend then into heaven? Jesus prayed, Father, protect them in the name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. There's the why. Protect them in the name that you have given me. Jesus' name is his cry of God for salvation. I cry to God for salvation. That's Jesus' name. So God, Father, protect them in the name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus came to make us one with God and each other. Jesus came to return us to Eden. In Eden, Adam and Eve were One with God and one with each other. There was not this separation. They walked with God. They didn't have any barriers between them and God. They were naked and unashamed. They had this intimate communion with each other. Intimate communion with God. Intimate communion with creation. Adam named the animals that God had made. You have to know something deeply to name it. And so they had this intimate deep communion with God and each other and with creation. And then they saw the tasty little fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they thought yummy and the knowledge of good and evil sounds better than communion with God and each other and so they ate and what was the immediate, what happened immediately? Shame and isolation. They immediately realized they were naked and hadn't been a problem 45 seconds before this, but suddenly they were naked and it was awful, and so they hid themselves from God, they hid themselves from each other, they put loincloths around themselves, they were shamed and isolated. And that carried on throughout the world, right? From, from shame and isolation came fear and anger and hatred and desire for vengeance. Murder wasn't too far along after that, as Cain slew Abel. And so the world was broken. And this brokenness continued throughout the world. Anger and pain and fear and suffering and vengeance and shame and isolation. Now, we all start in Eden. I don't know if that's when we're in the womb or just after we're born. I don't know. But we start in Eden. Every one of us. And we are born and we are good and we are innocent and we are wonderful and beloved. And over time, we get broken by the broken world. Anger and fear happen to us, and we learn anger and fear. We learn shame. We learn isolation. And so the broken world breaks us. We, broken people, break each other. Sometimes we're trying to. Often we're not. But a broken person trying to help another person probably going to break them a little bit in that process. Because we're broken. And so we end up breaking each other in the world, we in the world, we end up hurting each other in this process. Now Jesus, just before the the prayer that we heard him pray in our reading today, Jesus said, I have conquered the world. Last time I remember the world killed Jesus. So conquering meant something different. Jesus was not broken by the world. Jesus did not succumb to the shame, the isolation, and the fear, and the anger that the broken world would have put upon him. On the cross, what did Jesus pray? A prayer of love. Forgive them. Not a prayer of isolation or anger. Jesus prayed as he was being killed a prayer of love. So Jesus conquered the world because he remained unbroken, the world. And then he prays in this prayer that we heard today, says, Father, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. I figure Jesus could have probably said, poof or something similar, and just kind of fixed it all immediately, to where all of our brokenness, all of our shame, all of our hurt was just gone, and we were just instantly healed of all of that. He probably could. But he didn't. He didn't pray for the world. He didn't just say poof and let it all go away. There's something in us that needs to strive, that needs to work, that needs to follow in a way that leads to life, not just say poof, there you go. We know what happens with children when they never... uh, strive for anything. They never work for anything. They're just given everything and given everything and they're spoiled and they don't become worthless, but close. There's something in us, maybe something in our God-made image, image of God in which we're made. I think I just committed heresy. All right. The image of God in which we're made that we need to strive and we partner with God and live out our lives with God, not just be told, "Poof, you're all there." So Jesus didn't pray for the world; he prayed for his disciples that they would follow him and be made one with God. In so doing, so he tells us, "Follow him, follow in my way." And sometimes we do, and then sometimes we say, "Oh, I'm going to go over here instead," because your way, Jesus, that requires discipline, you're requires effort and work, and there are things that. I really, I'm really, i not going to be able to do if I'm going to follow in your way, Jesus, and I still want to do them. So I'm going to walk over here instead, and I'm just going to, doubt. I'll, I'll poke your way, I'll step a toe here and there, but I don't really want to follow in your way. But I do like this whole, make me one with God and each other, heal me, restore me. But I don't really want to walk in your way. It doesn't work. harm to others and be made one with God. We follow in Jesus' way and Jesus' prayer is that we will be one with God and one with each other. And as we follow in Jesus' way we also veer off the path. We promise that we will in our baptism. That's a promise that we make. And when we fall into sin we will repent. I promise you Lord I will mess up we say in our baptisms. And then when we do and we realize that, well then, we try to get our course back on to Jesus' way. And then we ask Jesus to help us and heal us as we go. Jesus' way, because when we do that, right, we don't end up having shame about that. We might have guilt. When we harm other people, when we harm ourselves, when we go radically far of departure from Jesus' way, we can have guilt. Guilt says, I've done something wrong, and I've harmed someone, or I've harmed myself, and I feel badly so that I might try to fix that, and try to try to help resolve and restore what I broke. Guilt's good when it relieves us to try to restore what's broken, but we don't have shame. We stray from Jesus' path, which means I did something harmful. It doesn't mean I am a harmful, terrible person. We are still beloved of God. First and foremost. The way of shame is not the way of Jesus. The way of shame is the way of the fall. That's the result of turning away from the way of Jesus. So if we follow the way of Jesus, we're not shamed by what we do wrong. We are inspired to hope the problems that we have caused and help those whom we have harmed as we follow in Jesus' way. And as we follow him in his way, he prays for us. Father, make them one as you and I are one. And help them to follow me and I will lead them back to Eden. Amen.